Freaking mic me up. Check one, two, one, two. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Plastics Podcast. Today, we're joined by the ever-boisterous Blair Lacrosse. Ever-boisterous. Always. Always boisterous. And I am the jubilant Jacob Burke. As well, here in the studio, we have the producer of the Plastics, Miss Madeline Gaylor. She waves. This week in sports, the F1 finale finishes in a fortuitous fiasco for Verstappen. But we aren't going to talk about it. Gerard gets got with a 1-0 loss to Liverpool, and Burnley waste West Ham's time with a woeful draw. Madrid lose to Madrid, and Madrid win in a most masterful mission from the maestros in midfield more than just Modric. And to kick off this conversation, well, it came home, didn't it? Undeniable. Impossible to stop. The narrowest team in the league, New York City FC, win the MLS championship in a nonstop thriller match. Caged, shoots and ladders, winner take all. Blair, how you feeling? I think it's great, Jacob. I've seen a lot going around on Twitter these last a few weeks, I guess, but really after, especially going into the game and then after the game where people are like, hey, we don't want NYCFC to win, you know, for whatever their reasons are. And I got to say... Screw those guys. Yeah, cry more? Yeah. Hold more L's. You forgot these. Let me me drop a couple more L's in the pocket there. Yeah. I think uh, the whole the whole Eastern Conference has got a big case of ligma. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. No, no, you've got a very tasteful thing coming up here. I, I saw an Atlanta United fan tweet a picture of an empty New York City street saying this is what the MLS Cup Parade will look like for NYCFC. And what I have to say to you, sir, is cry more. <laughs> Philadelphia uh, Union's manager after the game was complaining about the NYCFC oil money, and to you, sir, I have to say, cry more. This is just a uh, a first-time championship team brought to you by none other than Ronnie freaking Dyla. And when our guy cries, it's because he won something. It's because (laughs) this game means a lot to him. And when he uh, wins, he fulfills his promises. And those promises are to take off his shirt, take off his shoes, his socks, his pants, run around in his boxer briefs, and do 10 push-ups. Yes. While players pour copious amounts of lager and beer on his head. Your it guy was, could was never. Wonderful sight. Yeah. Get you a man that can do both. <laughs> and by both, we mean get naked in public and win a championship. Bruce Arena would never do this. No. Not in a million years. No. In fact, I don't think his facial expression would ever change from the dour, very negative man he is. 
last name was Arena? Well, the, the Revs uh, <laughs> manager is Bruce Arena, and they were the big boys that we beat. His last name is literally Arena? It, yeah. Okay. And his first name is Bruce. Yeah, it's it's a whole package right there. He's got a B.A. <laughs> Yeah, let's uh, let's just briefly talk about the game before we break into the other European games that happened because I think this one we were uh, probably the most invested in um, as fans because we had been following New York City FC uh, pretty closely this season as uh, residents of the city and residents of teams that are actually within New York City and not New Jersey. And I think um, to get the obvious fiasco out of the way here... Um, New York City uh, denizens do not have a good choice between their two soccer teams to support. Uh, you're either <laughs> supporting a soccer team that's uh, brought to you by Rosenball Sport or the City Financial Group. So please take your pick and feel bad about it. <laughs> um, I, I don't know what else to say. We, as a apartment, as a podcast, chose the New York City FC because, uh, one, the, uh, the mascot is the pigeon, and the pigeon is the spirit animal of NYC. Uh, it is in the Bronx, and they plan to build a stadium, if they can ever get around to it, in New York City, not New Jersey, um, what will bring uh, a big boon to the city, a big boon to soccer uh, as a culture here, and a huge, huge boost for the 2026 World Cup when it's co-hosted by the North American countries. There's some, you know, there's some players that come out of New York City. Jonathan David was born in New York City. Arsenal has a kid in their academy who was born in New York City. Like, New York is, is a pretty good soccer town. The streets produce. It's true. And... As soon as we get to figuring out how we can build that parking garage or whatever to get our stadium. <laughs> as soon as we get this parking situation so that you guys are screwed. Yeah. yeah. Whoever's in charge of the contracts over at City Football Group sent an email out to Please. their general contractors and it was like, hey, so when's construction going to start? And they're like, construction. Wait, what? <laughs> you wanted that? To, you wanted Sorry, that, that was this, this week? Yeah. Ah, hang on. You yeah. got to get a hop on a call about this one. So, yeah, what we need is just some low-level, classic, style, like, New York-style corruption. Are like, you in the room? I'm in the room. You got to let me in. Is there a password? <laughs> I can just call. <laughs> no? Okay, wait, let me hop on a remote. One, one sec. <laughs> yeah, so, anyway, <laughs> I don't know. That's um, okay, That's well, what we need. Yeah. Enough about the, um, the framework of the game, of the final. Uh, let's talk about the final. The final game of the MLS season... Uh, where Ronnie Dyla brought New York City their first championship on either side of the spectrum for soccer. So, Boom. Yeah. Gray, the right back. Yes, Tavon Gray. Tavon Gray. Thank you for reminding me of his first name. Uh, he was quite quite uh, instrumental in laying in those crosses. They, they really focused on the right, uh, especially in the first half. And I think that he might, if, if you had to pick uh, an instrumental player for the first half, he wasn't involved in the goal, but he was the guy that was making New York City dangerous. Yeah, so like they were finding these big switches of play from the left to right. Then it started early and often. They were switching up to Gray, who was sprinting into all kinds of space on the right wing. And yeah, I mean, he had some joy there for sure. So he's, he's a great player. I mean, he's what, 20 years old. I mean, he's a young guy, but yeah, it was, it was good for him. Uh, I want to also give one more shout out before you uh, give, bring your points, uh, Blair to none other than one Maxi Morales. 
I think, the player of the team over the course of this season. Yeah. Um, we love Tati Castellanos, but Maxi was the mortar that which held this entire midfield, this entire offense, offensive structure together. And I think he ran probably more than anyone else on the field this game. Yeah, he covers a lot of ground. And yeah, he really is just like pulling the strings for the attack. It's crazy to me because... Um, when you see him on the field, he is buying away the shortest player there. Oh, yeah. Like, not even close in terms of, like, other guys around him. He's, like, clearly the shortest. Effie Breath has him at 5'2 and a half. It's crazy. Yeah. And But but he, he makes up for it because, like, obviously he's not going to win a physical battle. So he's got to work his way around with uh, that beautiful foot of his. Yep. Oh, especially, especially because he had to get in to two two penalty shootouts throughout this playoff run. Something that is a famous weakness of his. And he converted both of his. You could tell after he converted to, he like looked up to the heavens and was like, thank you. I don't know what I've done, but thank you so much. Thank you, Maxie. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Blair, What anything you want to talk about about this game? Yeah, I mean, we, we got to mention Sean Johnson, right? Oh, obviously. Uh, so, for those of you who didn't watch the game, the championship, um, uh, New York City FC faced down the Portland Timbers in Portland. Uh, Portland, because they had a better record overall over the course of the regular season, and this was going to be a tough match uh, for both teams because the crazy uh, wind speeds that were happening around the stadium. 40-mile-an-hour wind gusts. <laughs> yeah, so you know that video that was floating around Twitter where I think it was either a Patriots or a Bills kicker that tried to kick it into the field goal, and it, the ball literally blew away the ball yeah. straight out <laughs> into the field in their like pre-game warm-up. This was basically that. As an aside, I just love that an NFL coach is standing on the field in those conditions. Is like, yeah, we'll get it there. <laughs> we'll get it there. We'll do it. Yeah. Don't worry. We'll we'll just we'll just run it. Yeah. Forty three times. <laughs> just kick it harder than you usually do. Like, you what are you doing? Do that, what are right? you doing? I'm kicking it. Yeah, but how are you doing it? With, with my foot. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yes. So this game, this game had New York City really controlling the game in the first half. Uh, they they were setting the tone. Portland were almost on purpose sitting back to try and catch New York out because I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to go into the reasons behind Portland's strategy because I really didn't look too much into why they were doing what they were doing. I was mostly concerned about finishing my uh, liter of beer that I'd ordered. It was a lot of too, too much beer. And because of that, New York city went up one Oh in the first half. And then they kind of thought they had it and they relaxed. And the game was really, really dull for like 40 minutes. Yeah, because uh, New York City wasn't able to create anything. Portland was shutting everything down and trying to do something on a counter. And in the 94th minute, the 94th minute of the game, after Tati Castellanos uh, proves his golden boot skill set on the field, Mora ties it up. Yeah. In extra time. Yeah. Of the second half. The literal minute. last kick of the game. Yeah. And everyone at uh, the Hofbrau who was watching the game puts their heads down and cries silent, <laughs> mournful tears. Oh, shit. <laughs> because it felt like in that moment that New York City was going to go down because this was their game to lose from like the, what, the 41st minute onwards. Yeah. 
And so when we got out and we were watching him play in extra time in the uh, extra extra time, it was there was nothing being done on either side. Everyone was so gassed. You might the the terms knackered. Yeah, and they they just weren't producing. So it went to penalties. And Sean Johnson, a tertiary goalkeeper for the United <laughs> States men's national team, uh, steps up to the goddamn plate and he delivers a masterful performance on how to act under pressure in a penalty shootout. The difference between Sean Johnson when he saved a penalty and when uh, Steve Clark when he <laughs> saved a penalty, night and day. Yeah. Sean Johnson saved two penalties, and each time he got up, it looked like he had just woken up yeah. from uh, <laughs> sleeping for like eight hours, and he was like, all right, next one. Yeah. David Clark, when he saved the penalty, it looked like he had just given birth to his first son. <laughs> Steve Clark, but yeah. The, what did I say? David. Oh. Whatever, Steve. <laughs> Steve Clark, masterful performance and what not to do in a final game uh, as a goalkeeper for your team. I'm sorry, I, I had to get that out. So New York City win in penalties after a 1-1 tie to extra time. Blair, now go after this uh, game has been expo- uh, Exposito- exposited. <laughs> Explained. Okay. Recapitulating. (laughs) So I want to say something on the penalties. The first one was a horrible take from Portland. Like just the worst thing you've ever seen in your life. The second one was a genuinely good save. Like Johnson dives. He gets just one big hand on the ball. And it's like he just, it's like just, there's no give. Just strong strength power <laughs> lion strong like bull yeah the Jack forearms Hammer. of a greek god and yeah it was just a wonderful save and it was the first two penalties that he saved so yeah. it's like oh okay cool so like we can relax just a little bit here such a huge morale boost yeah it was uh, so nice we were talking about that how like on the on, on the walk home amongst the other santa con attendees uh <laughs> how when a, when your goalkeeper makes that first save that it that that just takes such an enormous weight off the other players that have to step up later. So I think, in a way, uh, well, I mean, obviously, I think it was clear. Uh, I don't know. I actually don't know who the official MVP of the match was, but I have to think it was Sean Johnson uh, because without that, maybe Maxi doesn't make that penalty. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he had lots of confidence to go into it. Yeah. So, it was- so yeah, g- go on. Yeah, I mean, no, I mean, after that, you know, it was just everyone converted from there on out, but it didn't matter because we had the two goal or the two stoppages at the start. So that was basically all she wrote there. And then, yeah, afterwards, there was plenty to celebrate, right? So absolutely. Um, We were at the uh, the Hofbrau Brewery. Is that was at the Hofbrau House? The Hofbrau House, which is this um, it's a German brewery that is like it's a satellite brewery or like an expansion brewery from Munich and uh, they serve, it's like very German. They serve the beers in giant steins or like liter glasses. And there's waitresses walking around in Lederhosen. Is that, is like, that the, like some kind of traditional yeah. dress? I yeah. don't know. It's, it's not, like... they, it's not clothes. They show up to work wearing. No. <laughs> um, Maybe. <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> yeah. The, the army Navy gate, Na- army Navy game was on. And that's why what a lot of the patrons were there for because it was on a projector on the wall and we had to request to turn on the MLS final. 
And uh, there was a, several other New York fans there. So like we weren't the only ones there. But the funny part was, was that I think ha- uh, halfway through the second half, a band showed up for live music <laughs> yeah. and they started warming up. They had no idea. Yeah, they didn't know. They didn't know what was going on. They were there for another night to entertain the the attendants. And when they were actually started playing their set, that's when like extra time finished and the penalty shootout started. So, (laughs) so while they were playing Noin Noin Loof Balloons, and like one of the New York players scored, we went nuts. <laughs> and they knew that wasn't about the song because it was midway through the chorus. They weren't bad. But, they know. weren't bad, but I felt bad for like kind of raining on their gig. Yeah. But they, they were real sports about it because like when we won, they played like campeones, campeones, ole, ole, ole. Yeah. So they, they, they conceded and like we let them play out their set afterwards. It was great. Yeah. So. Great. So we win the game, right? And it cuts to the sidelines. And Ronnie Dyla's uh, like, yeah. yeah. And then all of a sudden, he's just sobbing. Yeah. Like, it was like, it just a snap. Like, it just like went off in his mind. Like, hey, we did this. The world lifted off his shoulders and he was able to be human. Yeah. And like, the, the oil the oil money comment, I would like generally be like, yeah, you know, whatever. You might have a point. But like watching like the genuine response on, on his face, like very genuine you should get, go Yeah, go look it up. He, he's really trying his hardest to like remain like composed because he knows he's going to have to like give a post-match yeah. uh, co- um, question, conference, post-match interview. Yeah, whatever. And um, he, he's just sobbing. Yeah, he's weeping, yeah. and it's just beautiful. It makes it almost brings a tear to your eye. It, it did. It, it it showed that like even though like these corporations own the teams, even though like the uh, you know the 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 spirit of the game is trying to be sucked out by many rich and removed people, the the soul's still there for almost everyone. So yeah, um, they can take our lands, but they will never take our freedom. <laughs> Charge. This is a stupid Braveheart quote. <laughs> charge, charge. Charge. Yeah. Okay, I honestly think that talking about the just the atmosphere of the game was enough for this because like I really I was too emotionally invested in this game to really pay attention to what was happening, but I will read off um, some of my notes here that I have. Impressions that I wrote down. New York focused on the right side of the field and Portland actually focused on the left. It was a curious mirror that I thought was uh, interesting to note. New York City had an uncharacteristically good defensive showing from inside their own box. We really don't, that's not normal for us. Yeah, we also kind of started out uh, pressing pretty high and I thought that was actually pretty effective early on we were able to recover the ball pretty high up the field but i don't think it didn't really last the whole game but that was something that i noticed as well right from the kickoff anything else you got jacob no i honestly i i want i just want the takeaway to be like this is why you watch soccer yeah we were talking about it and since the detroit pistons won their championship in 0405 yeah. i have not seen a team that i've supported win a championship as far as i can recall it it i think there's a difference between it's 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 really cool to be in the city when you support the team that wins yes right i mean like when it's unfortunate that liverpool won during the pandemic year when like many people were at mentally like one of the lowest points 
And so I think that really kind of took away from the celebration a bit overall. Yeah. But to be living in New York City and seeing like the team that you've because like when we when we decided to support uh, NYCFC, it was they were like. Uh, they had just gotten knocked out by Orlando in the most ridiculous penalty shootout <laughs> I've ever seen. One, the goalkeeper went off his line, got a yellow, was sent off. One of the defenders had to come in, and he ended up saving a penalty, which let Orlando proceed to the next round of the playoffs. It was so weird, yeah. And then we were like, that's that's a Detroit team. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> so we, I recognize that. <laughs> so... Yeah, it, it's not something we expected, which which it was really nice for us because, yeah, I mean, like, I think that was also something. I think, but New York City, in a sense, might be the most successful team uh, in terms of their chances overall right now because, like, the Jets are shit. The, the, the Giants are, like, at, all right at best. The Yankees are in a weird transitionary phase in the Mets or the Mets. <laughs> the Mets are signing some players. I want to issue a correction. It was 0304 the Pistons won, not 0405. But yes, I agree with you. The Knicks aren't winning a championship this year. The Nets' ch- chances of winning a championship dwindle by the day. Oh, I did forget about the Nets. Yeah. The yeah. Rangers, the I don't really know about, but I know that the Islanders are shit. So also, like a lot of these teams play in New Jersey. Yeah. So uh, anyway, um, that's not the point. Okay, so let, let let's wrap up. Good game. Fun times, joyful, spiritual soccer. Yeah. Maybe not spiritual. I don't think MLS is. That's not pointless. <laughs> All right. M- I've I've been I have not been a regular MLS watcher. And when you were asking me about like Portland, I was like, I don't know, man. <laughs> but I've been actually kind of like pretty pleasantly surprised at like the level of play in the MLS. Like it's not like high, but it's not trash. You know, like it's entertaining soccer, and like I would recommend it to people. Like you should watch it. It's 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 fun. Pick it, up a team and watch the game. It's it's fun because it's chaotic because the refs are bad, <laughs> and so things happen that normally wouldn't happen on like a professional pitch in like germany or england so yeah yeah i mean in that sense it's fun and like in that sense uh it it gives you way more connection because you're there which is why i'm moving to liverpool next month are you yeah cool okay moving on all right who gets your room well that's a studio perma perma studio (laughs) that actually would be very nice (laughs) (laughs) Uh, okay. Uh, uh, I've been, I think I've talked for most of this one, Blair. So do you want to talk about the next one here? Yeah. I mean, sure. Let's talk about the next one, man. Let's do it. Liverpool Villa. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Liverpool Villa, man, whatever. Yeah. So So Burnley, uh, West Ham. No, no. I mean, let's start with Liverpool Villa. So there's a storyline here, Jacob. And that storyline is this. Steven Gerrard, former Liverpool talisman, returns to Anfield at the helm of the Aston Villains. Oh, that's a good one. Yes. I'm sure that um, is new. Is it new? The prodigal son returns, Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what was that? Huh? Sirens. Yeah. Oh. Um, so yeah, Steven Gerrard made his return to Liverpool for the first time in some uh, actual competitive capacity as uh, head coach of Aston Villa at Anfield. Blair, you watched this game with me. I did. After I was there. a consensus to skip Man City Wolves, we decided to sleep, sleep yeah. in, and w- then wake up fresh and ready to go for Liverpool Aston Villa. Uh, can you tell me a bit how Aston Villa's play under Gerrard against a bigger side? Uh, like Liverpool played out in your opinion. It 
was, you know, it was there. They were there. It wasn't like Villa, I think, where they were doing fine. It's not a game. They're, they didn't play a game where the numbers were going to look good by any means. That's not really what it didn't. They didn't set up themselves to be very concerned with that sort of thing. They were trying to get anything they could from the match. And they were backed into their own box and pretty compact for large swaths of the match. And they were pretty organized and they had to do some last ditch defending. But like all in all, they were doing it pretty well. It was white knuckle defending, but it was there. They were doing it. And it seemed to it seemed to be kind of frustrating Liverpool. And it was sort of uncharacteristic. I mean, I think you put in the notes that it was sort of an uncharacteristically substandard performance from Salah on the day. But, you know, I think it was just that Villa were able to frustrate the Liverpool attack and just not really leave any of those dangerous avenues through the box that Liverpool typically exploit. So, yeah, I mean, it was it was very much a defensive effort for Villa not a lot going forward for them. They didn't achieve a shot on net. So, you know, that's something that they would need to work on. But, you know, outside of the Mings error that led to the penalty, it was a pretty good performance. I do want to focus in on Tyrone Mings for a second. Uh, it was it was funny because as right before Mings fouled Salah in the box, the commentator was talking about the <laughs> yeah. stellar performance Mings had defensively <laughs> thus far this game. So can you put uh, just a brief opinion on Mings's performance this game? I think that he performed well, and to say that because he followed what currently is the most on-form player in the league in – Uh, a hyper-defensive match for them is a fatal error for him is a bit too much, even though it did lead to a penalty. Yeah. Yeah, It's it's sort of hard to say, like, uh, Mings was busy. I mean, he was very busy. So, you know, I mean, sometimes that sort of thing can lead to a player kind of looking good because they're often asked to, uh, you know, perform their duties at a rate that maybe they wouldn't normally. And so they just start to stand out, right? And so, yeah, I mean, like, when you're protecting that side of the pitch, that left side for Villa, the right side for Liverpool's attack, you're basically being asked to make sure that Mohamed Salah and Trent Alexander-Arnold aren't the ones that are uh, wreaking havoc on you. It's a big job. It's a big job. And, you know, I think, you know, Mings certainly held his own for as long as he could, but... When, when you're asked to defend like that for so long, you know, uh, it's just a, a question of when and not if. So, you know, it, it was an unfortunate break for them, but like the way, the amount of time that Liverpool was spending, not just in the attacking third, but in the box, yeah, in yeah. Villa's box, was just absurd. And you're just going, it's, something's going to happen. Someone's going to stick a foot out or let a leg, you know, linger too long and someone's going to run into it trip over it whatever and it's just going to happen you know so they just need to find a way to get out of that and they couldn't really do it very often liverpool you mentioned were in aston villa's basically 18 yard line and beyond into like you know the corners and the 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 spaces in the penalty box and this brings up a good point uh 
statistically about a new metric that has become a mainstream mainstream among uh, avid soccer fans that read uh, data focused pieces called field tilt <laughs> aka losers yeah. put him in a locker <laughs> <laughs> this uh, this statistic is called field tilt and what field tilt is is simply a measure of where the ball is being touched the most so Ooh. these are measured <laughs> in in uh, uh, vertical lines along the field or in horizontal, really, but mostly it's vertical to measure where along the field in which third the ball is being touched the most. And in this case, it was basically in Aston Villa's third. And so the field tilts in Liverpool's favor, hence uh, the statistic name, and uh, they have the ball so far up in Aston Villa's space that it is an offensive exhaustion. I mean, uh, yeah, offensive exhaustion on Aston Villa's part. I, I want to bring this into context for Liverpool as the team. This is a very helter-skelter helter form of play. It's very exhausting, and it's really not possible for a team to do this for 90 minutes straight. They have to do it in bursts, and that's what Liverpool do. They, they pass it forward. They knock a bunch of passes around. They have runners going in the box. Absolute chaotic nightmare for defensive teams. And But it's exhaustive for Liverpool. Is this something they can make? maintain for the rest of the season i think that there there is some injury concern uh we saw it happen last season and then last season was like a perfect storm like i don't know a monkey's paw curled somewhere and something some bad shit went down there was there was uh, bad vibes at anfield i don't know what was going on something in the water but what, what was interesting to me is because uh in the midweek there were champions league games right yes sir and I was surprised to see that Salah and Mane were starting. I don't want to... Yes, they were starting. And it was an inconsequential match for Liverpool. So, yeah, I thought that was interesting. And, yeah, I mean, you know, you don't want minutes to, to pile up on these guys. Klopp has this thing that he talks about where he, the, he says the best way for young players to develop is to play alongside senior players. And so when you put Tyler Morton on... And you say, go for it, kid. You want him next to the big boys. I buy that for sure. However, we're trying to win a title here. <laughs> so, Klopp, can you not play the best attacking players every single game? <laughs> because if one of them goes, this entire ship's going down. <laughs> anyway, yes. it is. It is kind of fraught. I think in this game... It was more of an occupation than it was like like balls to the wall pressing. They just held the ball in Villa's half. You said something, yes, uh, when Liverpool. <laughs> it, it was the insurgency and there the counterinsurgency. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Liverpool just they were the occupying force, and Villa your, tried their best to get out. <laughs> put on your CNN hat and went <laughs> yeah. insurgency and counterinsurgency. Uh, last question. Uh, and and in these questions, I've 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 already written down. Where we're t I'm trying a new format here, where I have pre-written thoughtful questions about the game, um, and that might be why a Liverpool fan is asking Blair Lacrosse about this. <laughs> just just to clear some, some schmuck. <laughs> <laughs> now some schmuck, some boisterous soccer fan. Remember boisterous? Yeah, yeah sure, 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 sure. Uh, yeah, to clarify the new format that might work. Uh, I think it's going well. So. Um, 
I think it's going well too, Jacob. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about Oxlade Chamberlain, Alex Oxlade Chamberlain, and this is great because you're an Arsenal fan, and Alex Oxlade Chamberlain played for Arsenal. So I don't, I don't want to talk about how he played in what position he played at Arsenal, but maybe you can comment on it. I don't know, but he was played as a false nine this game, and what that means for those who don't know is a false nine is a striker who drops back and facilitates in build-up play. Something that Ox is uh, fairly decent at, and that is a perfect fit in case of in the case of passing off to Mane or to Salah for more goal threat. And do you think? Here's my question. Do you think that Ox's performance was good enough to cement himself as a possible candidate for a first-teamer on Liverpool? No. Okay. Oxley chamberlain the, the read I always had on him, uh, and from, from what I've gathered from Arsenal fans, I didn't really watch a lot of Oxley chamberlain I think I maybe have caught the tail end of his Arsenal career, but was that he was basically like this utility guy who could do a lot of things, but none of them very well or none of them at an elite level. He was just like pretty good at a lot of things. And so it was like, where does he like really fit on the field? I'm not really sure. And so like seeing him pop up like in Liverpool's midfield now, like this false nine thing is like not that surprising because it seems like that's just the read that the soccer world has on him. Mm -hmm. This felt like a game that like Firmino would have thrived in. Yeah, So it, it was. Yeah. And I mean, like, you know, and that's not not to like bash Oxlade Chamberlain with, with Firmino, but like, you know, the, I I think the false nine thing is kind of interesting to me in this game where so much of the time was spent, uh, like we said, in the attacking third. So the false the false nine thing to me seems like it would be useful in build up, but the build up was just constant. It, it was. was always there. That's a good point that uh, not much use for a false nine or as much use for a false nine when you are already there. Yeah. Yeah. Oxlade Chamberlain is usually utilized by Klopp as a midfielder, an attacking midfielder. Mm -hmm. And I will just add, he hasn't had a great season. Uh, he played well when he initially transferred to Liverpool. And I think it all went downhill after his uh, ACL injury in the Champions League, I want to say, which was like two or three years ago. So this has been a a gradual recession of Ox. And so I, I was asking uh, this question in the hopes that maybe Oxley chamberlain would be starting to make a comeback. But uh, it seems that his utility is as far as being an available player when Yota has some fitness issues and Firmino is out. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. Sure, you could maybe do that. Yeah, if if he's your if he's your third choice in that position, fine. But like, I don't think he should start there. No. Yeah. No, he he's definitely deeper in terms yeah. of that. Anyway, that was a good game. I'm happy. Three points. The 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 saga continues. Let's move on. And this was a game I didn't watch, so I will be just fielding questions. Burnley fought West Ham to a gritty, <laughs> gritty 0-0 draw. Blair, I mean, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> I don't know, man. This uh, Burnley just cracks me up. I don't know why. I use them for all my jokes. Somebody said in the summer, like, Lionel Messi you should sign with blank. And I said Burnley. <laughs> I just think it would be funny <laughs> if Lionel Messi played for Burnley. We don't talk about them a lot. And it's like... It's like when you don't go bowling for a long time and then you're like, 
do you want to go bowling? And you, and you go out and you, you do it. And you're like, this su- I suck at this. This is so bad. I'm, I'm very bad. I can't even get like 100. I just want to interject. If Sean Dyche was a sport in the flesh... Yeah, it would absolutely be bowling. <laughs> yeah, it would. It would. They play soccer <laughs> like bowling. Like they kick they, the soccer ball yeah. like you'd kick. Yeah. They they're a very low possession team, and hey, you don't want to touch a bowling ball with your feet. <laughs> no, anyway, oh god, sorry. Go on. They're a low possession team. They play like route one style, which basically means they lump the ball down the field and they say, "Go get it." It's like it's like playing catch with like. With like a golden retriever. Yeah, yeah. Go on, boy. Yeah. That's what, um, that's what Sean Dice says. Go on, then. <laughs> yeah, to, to Chris Wood. And, you know, to me, like, there's more aesthetically pleasing ways of playing the game than this. But Burnley have been able to make this work well enough to maintain a position in the, in the Premier League for years now. So, you know, credit to them for that. But, yeah, just watching them, it kind of reminds me, like, why I don't particularly love watching them. But... They, like, held their own today. And, you know, I don't think that it was really the sort of Route 1 stuff that did it for them. It was the set pieces, because that's also another specialty of theirs, is they love to smash you <laughs> on set pieces as much as they can. And they really play it like a, like a football game, like American football, where they are very, very physical. So, you know, that's kind of where a lot of their, their danger came from. And and when, in the moments where they're like trying to pass it around in possession, they kind of look a little lost. It's like, wait, so I can't in this moment kick it straight forward because there's not somebody there or there's an angle that's cut off, whatever. So, yeah, it's a very interesting game to watch. You noted here that Declan Rice had seven duels, one, 11 ball recoveries, and one, one low probability near wonder goal. Yeah. Sounds like a good performance. Declan Rice caught the eye, and in the middle of the game, I was like, ah, shit. Like, he's going to just replace Jordan Henderson, isn't he? (laughs) Because it's just like, he kind of looks like just like the next iteration of Jordan Henderson. Um, And that that hurt me a little as an Arsenal fan. But yeah, Declan Rice, I think he's obviously stepped up to another level this season. And what I was really impressed to see in this game was that his forward ball progression with the ball at his feet was like pretty damn good. Like he had three progressive carries in the game and like they were pretty eye catching. Like he was dribbling around guys kind of, you know, m- making little dribble moves, sneaking guys get into the box. And yeah, it was just a really impressive performance from him. And he took a shot in like the 84th minute from like uh, the center of the field way out and okay. it's curling, dipping, and I think it hit the upper left 90 and bounced out. But, yeah, he was just a eye-catching player today. It was a rather dull perform- performance, I'd say, overall. But Declan Rice definitely was one of the lone shining lights on the field. So The lone star. Nick Pope commanded the box pretty well, made three saves on shots from inside his own box. Nick Pope was in the conversation for England first-team keeper just last year. And now... He is just uh, a lost memory of a prospect that could have been um, to thankfully end the Jordan Pickford era. (laughs) But now he is just a consistent starter for Burnley. Anything to note here? Yeah, I mean, I think he he made the saves he needed to. West Ham did have some chances that, you know, tested Nick Pope. But, 
you know, I think he, he, he made, made the three saves he needed to. So I don't know. I mean, it was West Ham. I, I thought we were sort of vacillating between being kind of looking dangerous, looking like they're going to score a goal, create a chance, something, and then just being like super frustrated and taking a long shot and just kind of whacking it over the, the net and running back. It was a weird performance for them. They looked really kind of out of sorts and, and were generally frustrated with what Burnley were doing in the game. Just weird in the sense that they were playing like their old selves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Typical Burnley game, I think, here. Let's let's zoom out by saying uh, Burnley play some hard-to-watch soccer, but Sean Dyche is loved, I would believe, by most of the fan base for keeping this team in the conversation of a consistent Premier League side. And they are battling against a... Another year of maybe getting relegated. So if Sean Dyche manages to pull Burnley up the table by their bootstraps, that is, I think, basically another win for him, and it proves why they keep him on as a manager. You can't, you can't knock the guy for doing what this team is incredible at, and they've got a nice squad that keeps Burnley a Premier League side. Uh yeah, they, I, the thing I'll say about Burnley, too, is they're missing Maxwell Cornett, who is probably their best attacking player this season. He's out with injury right now. So, yeah, I mean, when you've got Jay Rodriguez coming off the bench, uh, who's a player who I think just does not do service to man bun wearers out there in the world. Um, I, they, they certainly miss Cornette. He's hang on now. I got to look this up because <laughs> yeah, Jay Rodriguez. I don't know. I just I don't really like him as a player. But um, Cornette's uh, like a legit good attacking player. He looks good, dude. Yeah. Well, wait until you watch him play. <laughs> All right. Fair but, enough. Yeah. I mean, Cornette's got five goals and nine appearances this season, so they'll definitely want to get him back and firing because. They certainly miss him as as it relates to West Ham. Right now, they're missing Angelo Ligbana, Aaron Cresswell, Kurt Zuma, Ben Johnson, and Ryan Fredericks. A lot of starters in that list. So okay. I think that's certainly not helping them. And on top of that, Mikhail Antonio is now on a seven-game scoreless streak. Mikhail Antonio has dipped, yeah, for sure. And I think as Antonio goes. Antonio goes. Antoni Gozio. Antoni Gozio. <laughs> There's a guy named Kevin Lasagna that plays for Verona. Did <laughs> you know Kevin that? Kevin Lasagna. <laughs> anyway, um, I think kind of as he goes, so does West Ham in many aspects. Saeed Benrahma didn't have a very great game himself. So, yeah, just kind of not a uh, lethal attack for West Ham on the day. The gears are turning, but not catching. Moyes, what's going on? Let's move on. Let's move on, and we're going to talk about a Madrid derby. And I will let uh, Maddie jump in here as she watched the game along with Blair. And you guys can talk about your takeaways and the, uh, the I heard it was a great game. So, Maddie, uh, whenever you want to hand back, feel free. Hey, Blair. Hey, Maddie. Long time no see. All right, Blair. Madrid v. Madrid. Yeah. It was a um, it was a Freaky Friday situation. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Which one was Jamie Lee Curtis and which one was Lindsay Lohan? I mean, who won in the end? I think Lindsay Lohan won in the end. 
Did she? In the game of life? She's doing fine. Over better than Jamie Lee Curtis? I mean, I was talking about in the movie, but uh, maybe maybe not. Maybe not. Uh, Forever Mother, Jamie Lee Curtis is thriving. I was trying to remember really how that movie resolved because it's been a while since I've seen it. I mean, I think they just like agreed that each of their lives were hard for different reasons and they respected each other a lot more. So they might have both won in the end, but yeah. but you the daughter what? was the younger one in the movie and so you know she had more life to live with that weird body switch experience. So really true. implementing that into her future. Can you hear Jacob? Okay. It's a vital experience. Yeah. So Madrid. Yeah, which one? Jamie Lee or Lindsay? <laughs> I'm still confused who's who. <laughs> yeah, I I actually have no idea. I can't make the metaphor translate to these two <laughs> teams. Yeah, so let's start with the headline. Real Madrid 2, Atletico Madrid 0. This was a game at the Berna, Bernabeu. Bernabeu, Bernabeu. Second one, Jacob points. And one thing to note in this game, Bernabeu, pretty sick stadium. Dude, their camera, their sideline camera operators, props to them. Yeah. That was the, the first goal by, who scored it? Uh, no, it was Kareem Benzema. Benzema. I was going to say Benzema, and then I was like, that sounds like a pill. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Benzo diazepam. <laughs> yeah. Uh, th- he, they panned to the side camera, and he's like celebrating and the field is just lit up behind him. Yeah. And it's just like, this is a video game. Yeah, None of this fake. is real, but it's so beautiful. I cannot look away. Kareem Benzema says, my life is a movie. And he proved us all right. But yeah, the, the tears in the stadium just go up forever. It's crazy. Yeah. A really, a big props to ESPN on this one because their in-game graphics on the field are great. They There's were a corner. so informative. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there was a corner situation where it showed like where the the percentages of where the ball was going for Real. No, it was just a regular. It wasn't the tactical view. Jacob asked if it was the tactical view. It was the, just the regular broadcast, and they showed like the percentages of where you know each each team was attacking on the field, left, center, or right wing. Yeah, it was just it was, it was pretty cool. I, I enjoyed that part. Oh, they also did this thing when they like linked the lines of the players, so they kind of showed how they're moving as a, as a unit for Real again. Just a, a cool broadcast. It was it, interesting. Let's get on to what actually happened in this game. What happened? It was strange, I yeah. guess. What did happen? The first half, it was like, I'm, I, we, were, we were sitting there watching it. I was like, man, Atletico's really had uh, most of the possession. They've been driving. I haven't seen much of the other Madrid team. Real, thank you. I, I was thinking of them in, in my head as the white jerseys and the red jerseys because that's <laughs> what they were. And then I know the white ones won. And then as soon as I said that, Vinicius, did I say it right? Yep. Took, takes off down the field. Benzema takes off down the field. The electricity between them fueled just the most perfectly placed volley goal yeah from benzema yeah the bernabeu turned into a tesla cage for a moment <laughs> there's lightning firing all around it oh god it was actually a really nice play so let's yeah. let's talk about the goal so yeah. uh Atletico madrid's got the ball they, they gain possession one of their one of their midfielders i'm not sure if, who it was maybe DePaul tries a kind of long 
pass kind of cutting through the heart of um, uh, Madrid's midfield. So just straight up the middle. Luka Modric, in all of his 36-year-old glory, cuts it out. He gets a foot on it and knocks it to the side. Casemiro's there to clean it up. He passes it up the field to Kareem Benzema. Benzema one-times it out to Asensio. Asensio passes it up to Vinicius, who then taps the cross, like he said, to the center of the pit, center of the box, and Benzema one-times it. Wasn't one wasn't nil. his pass just like he was on his way out? He was on his way out of bounds, and like last second, just like backwards. It was, was like it that one. Yeah, it was kind of like midway down the box mm-hmm. or thereabouts. But okay. the way he hit it, it was weird because like he hits it kind of behind him. Mm-hmm. So he like really kind of chopped it. And uh, it was like a, a pitching wedge. Perfect placement. Yeah. Could not have been better. Yeah, it was really nice. Vinicius had a very good game, which yeah. we can maybe talk about. But yeah, at that moment was really solid for Real. It was kind of a, a kind of a counter. Uh, counter-attacking goal, I guess you could say. Yeah. On the flip side, Atletico Madrid's defending was just woeful. <laughs> um, you know, Asensio had space. Vinicius really had space. He got kind of closed down before the pass, but not really. And then the ball flying to Benzema, he's just kind of standing there. And the Atletico defender who's trying to recover, you know, as the ball's arriving, the the defender still, like, got his weight going the wrong direction, and he's still trying to, like, gather himself to get back up the field to actually, like, mark Benzema. And there's just, like, it's not going to happen. So, yeah, it was pretty woeful recovery from Atletico, and I think, really, that is what cost them in both goals in the end. Yeah. the uh, After the game uh, commentators were talking about how just uh, very caught off guard the defense were and how both goals were very preventable. Yeah. Cause like the, the weird thing about it was like Atletico had numbers back. They had enough people to mark out each of the Real Madrid players that were, they were committing up the field. They just didn't get into formation. They didn't mark the proper spaces and find the players. Yeah. And it was just too easy for Madrid. So how many shots did Atletico end up getting on net and off? That's a good question. I have that Atletico had nine total shots. How many they had on field, on target? They had six on target. Real Madrid conversely had seven shots with three of those shots being on target. So this is what's interesting to me about this game. Atletico Madrid finished with more shots on target and a higher XG. Real Madrid scored two goals. Yeah, it, in this case, the XG is the most confusing part because uh, Atletico has 1.07 and Real Madrid have 0.52. Yeah. yeah. By all accounts, they should have lost. It was, yeah. So, like, I think this is kind of one of those ones where it's like you look at, if you just looked at the XG it doesn't really tell you what actually happened, right? Yeah. Because, uh, you know, like what we were, we were watching, the, watching the game and like Madrid had some shots. They had some moments, but all their shots went straight to Courtois. Every single one. Yeah. It's like they're getting shots in dangerous moments, but they're shooting straight to his hands. So like, I, I think like Madrid had their shot, had their chances, but they were just like really poor with their placement. And it was like, there was one moment where Courtois had to kind of dive low into his left to get to his shot, which maybe was Madrid's big chance, Atletico's big chance. I'm not sure. But 
yeah, Courtois just kind of like had to stand there, man. They just shot right at him. So it, it was kind of a, a poor shooting performance for Atletico on the day. Besides shooting, though, Real won in accurate passes, uh, touches, long balls, accurate long balls. Atletico's only really thing, apparently, from what it the stats say, that they tried to do is cross it. They crossed the ball 22 times, and Real Madrid crossed it five. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's, yeah, that's an interesting sort of tactical choice for Atletico. I don't know. I, I, I know. I don't know of them as a... Atletico's attack is always has always sort of perplexed me. I don't know necessarily like what their uh, their strategy was in this game, um, but it was yeah I don't know it just seemed rather toothless in the end. So Madrid had Karim Benzema, who's an incredible goal scorer, and they had another goal from Vinicius Asensio, who has uh, had shown goal scoring prowess in his own right previously so i don't know maybe just a quality gap there but kind of a poor performance for atletico in front of goal oddly enough though benzema was subbed off at half yeah i don't know if he picked up an injury or what that was about yeah he was looking really really good during the game him and uh vinicius were connecting really well and then uh the who, who came on for benzema luka jovic yeah I mean, I, I don't think he really made too much of a difference on the game. I think Asensio kind of stepped up into the role that Benzema was playing. Yeah, Jovic was, he was fine. He he had uh, a, pa- a nice pass in the build-up to the second goal uh, out to Vinicius. So, I mean, that was kind of like, I don't know, his big involvement in the attack. But, yeah, I mean, Benzema's, I think, <laughs> obviously a much, much better player than uh, Jovic is. But, yeah, Vinicius really was kind of their attacking threat. You know, he had two assists on the days and probably was their, their best player um, for the game. Atletico's attacking threat was subbed off also at halftime. They took off Griezmann, and the announcers were like, yeah, he, he wasn't doing anything today. And it was like, he played 45 minutes, and some of your other players aren't doing well either. Why would you sub off, like, one of your most attacking players? Good question. Yeah, they brought Joe Felix on. They brought Thomas Lamar on. Uh, they brought Luis Suarez on later on in the game. They made four like subs within maybe five, seven minutes. Yeah, it was it was a pretty quick uh, turnaround, and I think I think really what it was is just that Atletico really weren't generating a lot in the attack going forward. It was kind of I, I call it kind of a sleepy game. It was the, mm-hmm. the pace of it was kind of slow. Um, that was my that was my take on it, but I think. You know, that was partly to do with Atletico, who were just kind of like discombobulated, I guess, in their attack and in their countering threat. So I, I don't know, maybe it was D- Diego Simeone seeing that and saying, you know, we need to freshen up the attack. We need to bring on some new ideas onto the field. Not How are really you supposed sure, to but. attack against a man named Luka Modric? <laughs> well, that was that was kind of what they were saying in the post-match commentary. It was like, Luka, Luka Modric is a great player, but he's 36 years old. Like, he should be giving him more problems than Atletico did on the day. And, I mean, I kind of agree with that. You know, uh, test him a little bit. See if uh, see if he can still run. But The they, man was really. smooth. Yeah. I mean, the there was one play where I was sitting there and I, was, I saw him, like, just squeeze in between the ball and the uh, offender. 
and it looked so fluid and it it, like most defenders would body someone off the ball. He just kind of floated in, took the ball and then passed it. And the next player gave it away. But it was like, wow, that was so fluid. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was kind of a a play down in the corner right by the flag and the ball's coming in and he just kind of slipped in between the player and the ball and just took it. Yeah, it was really nice. This was a strange game. Atletico weren't very, very uh, threatening. Real Madrid converted their two chances or the two big shots. And that really is the storyline, I would say. I, I, hi again. Hey. Yeah, I have several things that I was kind of just notating here. Okay. Uh, we can train, we can still talk about Modric because he's, he's a great piece into how Madrid operate. The commentators were saying that he's he shouldn't be doing this. They no. So like the post match commentary, they're just like, you know, Luka Modric is a great player, but he is thirty six years old, and they should have been forcing him to forcing him into tougher situations than they were able to on the in, in, on the day at Letico. That is, they didn't really test him. Was basically what they were saying. I also uh, was looking at. Real Madrid's total XG. They are sitting at 24.8 XG for the season. They have 31 goals. That's pretty good. That's really, really good. I mean, they <laughs> they certainly outperformed it today. Two goals on 0.5 XG, so there you go. Second is Barcelona with 19.4. That's interesting. <laughs> What's the XGA the for Barcelona? The next most is five goals less, and Barcelona have 18. Hmm. They are underperforming. I think it's a good study in the, the differences between two clubs that are in a what is supposed to be a transitionary period. Yeah. Uh, yeah, any closing thoughts, Blair? Yeah, not particularly. I, I don't know. S- I see topics here. Benzema should be in jail. <laughs> just put that, I just put that there for the hell of it. Yeah, put him in jail, man. That guy. Horny jail? Definitely horny jail. That's okay. at the, the very least. Yeah, I don't know. He's he's too French for soccer, I think. Cut that. Well, thank you, Maddie, for involving your thoughts among the Madrid Derby. Uh, it looked like a fun game. And we will close out with Blair's thoughts on the Arsenal woman facing the Leicester woman. Yeah, so Maddie and I had a clash for the ages today as our respective clubs faced off at Arsenal's home stadium in Boreham I believe it's the neighborhood. Uh, it's like a, I don't know, London neighborhood. <clears throat> anyway, the home ground for the Arsenal women when they don't play at the Emirates. And it was certainly a soccer game. There were 11 players for each team. On the f- Sorry, no. Sorry. I'm not going to do this. It was a, I mean, it was a pretty thorough defeat, I would say, for Leicester um, with some rather unfortunate events for them. What was the um, score? It was four to nil. And what competition was this? This is the, the Women's Super League. This was at home? Yeah. Arsenal? yeah, yeah. So it's the domestic league, a domestic league tie between between Brighton or not Brighton between Leicester and Arsenal. My I'll, brain's going. I'll read your note. 
Leicester decided to play a high line against the first place team with two of the best attacking wingers in the league. Yeah. So. Yeah. So Beth Mead and Nikita Paris are very good players. Mane Iobuchi and Jordan Nobbs are very good players. And I still didn't mention Viv, Viv Miedema yet. Um, it's, it's a very rich attack for Arsenal. And they were consistently lobbing balls into a lot of space for uh, Nikita Paris, especially to run down the right wing. And it was, it was interesting because Leicester, we were playing this high line and they're also having this kind of sweeper keeper. Um, so the keeper was consistently running out to like spaces that were like halfway between the 18 yard line and the midfield uh, to clear, clean up these, these long balls. And she did pretty well. I mean, she was off her line, uh, at the appropriate times, she maybe got caught out one time uh, that she did have to recover, and Arsenal had their shot blocked. Lester cleaned that up pretty well, but yeah, she she did pretty well in that. Um, but I think one kind of critical uh, facet of the game was that the referee was not at all shy about getting to the cards, and so pretty early on. Uh, Lester racked up like three yellow cards and yeah, there's one in the third minute for Lester, uh, Jess Sigsworth. There was one, in the sixth minute for Lester, Shannon O'Brien. And then the 43rd minute, uh, Nikita Paris was breaking down the right. And this is when I was already at two nil and, uh, a pretty key player, I think for Lester, Gemma Perfield. Uh, I don't know. She, she, she like ran across Nikita Paris's back and, Nikita Paris lost her balance and fell. She fell down. Um, and it was like a in-on-goal situation. The defender was behind Nikita Paris. Um, and the red just went, the ref just went straight red. They're already down two goals. Now they're down to 10 players in the field. It was just a rather unfortunate break for Lester. And then from there, I think it just devolved into two more goals and it kind of played out. Lester have had a bad time in the women's super league. Yeah, it's been tough for them. They're still on zero points. Their goal differential is negative twenty. Jeez, Birmingham. <laughs> yeah, so like the 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 WSL is like it just like these sorts of I think things kind of happen still. It's it's like pretty top heavy. Actually, I think Manchester City's sort of surprised at how poor they've been. They're on thirteen points after nine matches, but Chelsea and Arsenal are both you know well past plus twenty in the goal differential and. It's it can be a pretty brutal uh, run of fixtures for some of the lower table teams that are trying to make it. Did uh, Tobin Heath play? She didn't, and she's not in. She wasn't even in the team. I think she's carrying an injury, uh, but I need to check on that and see what it is. Have we shown the camera Blair's sick Tobin Heath jersey? We have before, okay, uh, but not today. So uh, this is my sick Tobin Heath jersey official. Oh, fish. I'll be merch. buried in this thing. Okay. Well, I think that's all the thoughts. Don't you think that's all the thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to wrap that conversation up, Arsenal women now are four points clear uh, at the top of the table. Sounds like a good so. time for the Gunners. Yeah. That's good. I'm happy with it. Great. Well, thank you, Blair. Thank you. Thank you, Maddie. And thanks always to producer Madeline Gaylor. And I will leave you with the thoughts and chance of New York City FC.